New Pope, who dis? Holy moly, welcome back to your favorite New Pope podcast. I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Cecily. And today we're talking about another bonkers episode of the New Pope, episode six. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of this one, Cecily? I, this is the episode where things got real. And you can tell the the tone was set from the opening credits where the nuns went from dancing and included the abbess mm-hmm. to them just collapsing and the music getting real somber. And then you were kind of set for how this episode was going to go. Yeah. And things were kind of, things were really eerie and supernatural kind of, but not really, but miraculous, but not really. I was going to say things got real in the <laughs> sense that the bugs I think now are real and not just metaphysical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if God is a millipede, centipede, millipede, uh, millipede, yeah. then the devil is a cockroach. I think so. Okay. Um, I, I've always thought cockroaches are evil. Uh, yeah, this is, um, I mean, there's so this, there's such a, like an evil Wes Anderson dreamlike quality to so much going on here. Like, uh, you know, the, the one eyed, is he a priest? Uh, he's Mr. a cardinal for sure. Mr. Essence. Uh, but nobody knows who he is. Is he just dressing like him? I'm not even sure that I agree that he's a priest. I'm not sure what side he's on. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that this show's doing that doesn't really hold your hand on. Like, uh, there's a lot of time that's elapsed. How many? How much time in the real world do you think has gone from like the beginning of the season? Oh, from the beginning of the season. Uh, but I, then again, like if I we, don't know, but between the last episode where we're counting 413 breaths right. to this episode where we got a count of like 195, and when I think we're days. down to the very end, like we're talking days, but like it feels like months have gone by in terms of the deterioration of Sophia and mm-hmm. uh, Thomas's relationship, uh, the fact that they're able to do a 180 on the politics, mm-hmm. like you know, can can a prime minister get his dick wet and just turn the ship of state around on on policy that fast i that, that's what i'm saying it, it, and it also adds to the kind of dreamlike or maybe nightmarish quality of uh what's happening because like the passage of time doesn't feel like it's consistent also the other thing about the passage of time uh esther has enough time to do uh, enough stripping to get well off and have a house and babysitter to like you know what I mean? Like that takes longer than five, like what do we calculate? Five days if the count if the breath countdown was consistent. I, I these storylines are either proceeding on different timelines or the timelines are beside the point. I'm I'm not sure, but it's mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting as a critic to try to you know all the, the the usual tools I have to process things don't count for a lot in this this new pope. Uh, uh, era that we're mm-hmm. living in. Uh, let's talk about the episode itself. Um, I want to start at the beginning. You, you alluded to it. I thought this was the best dance montage yet. Um, and like, I like the abbess, like it, it cut to her in her private quarters and she can, something mm-hmm. I've been, I've wondered if it's like, can she actually hear all this nonsense happening? She can. <laughs> uh, to what extent is it actually real in the show? But you can hear like, you know, it's uh, that bass is like bleeding through and she's kicked back with her feet up on the desk and she's smoking a cigar. I mean, I still don't believe that this is real. What is, what is real? What yeah. is truth? What is beauty? What is the nature of evil? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but then, like her actually getting into it yeah. and I uh, and, and and starting to bust out her own moves, I thought was really really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, not just funny, but just really interesting and fun to watch. And then, as you say, they cut out the music and all the nuns like you know cut their strings like marionettes, and that feels ominous. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple other things where the, the where uh, 
Apollo Sorrentino is using dance other than just to titillate and entertain. It's like multiple levels of communication he's de- he's he's dealing with here. Right, like the episode ends with this girl dancing and it's juxtaposed against the first time we see her dancing naked Mm -hmm. now she's dancing very sadly yeah with clothes on because we now i think we know that she's underage so she's got clothes on aware that their gaze is at an underage woman and she feels uh more vulnerable and you know she's as you as you pointed out fully clothed um well she has all her bathing suit areas covered right um but yeah, uh, so let's let's dive into like I want to start with Sophia's plot because uh, it's chronologically first and it, it drives it's kind of interleaved through the action a lot too. Uh, this guy comes and introduces himself as Leopold Essence, who's uh, like a Stephen King villain. Y- yeah, he looks like he might be a stand-in for a Satan. Yeah, uh, eye patch, heavy limping type of walk. Uh, this this very gross affect. Where yeah. he's like sucking his fingers loudly and playing with his flan in a gross way. And, and, but and also we know he's real because everyone else in the room observes him. Yeah. And he uh, he's presumed he, he puts his hands on Sophia's uh, food uh, and he just like breaks all these social norms and makes people intensely uncomfortable. Um, but like whose side is he on? Because when I first saw him, I thought... Is this going to be John Paul III's version of a, a Bauer character? Like, is he the the guy you call in to do dirty deeds? Because he's saying he comes in and and he's talking about, uh, you know, what JP three has been preaching as far as love and um, it's it's distortions forms, and he tells Sophia to follow the love. Like Sophia, at this point, I think is ignorant of what her husband's doing she might have some suspicions but she doesn't really know what they're getting up to he prompts her to go discover uh you know the fact that they've been playing with this this uh underage girl but then later he comes to threaten her into silence that doesn't make sense why would you uncover this malfeasance and then threaten her into silence so it's like i i thought it was him i thought it was him cautioning her against getting too much too much closer to jp3 but he told following that- the love and mm-hmm. that's where your failure is if you follow the love meaning that if you follow this whatever feeling you have with jp3 then that will lead to failure so i thought that that prompted her to do her own investigation mm-hmm. into the person who was sent to intimidate her and she uncovered more information about her husband and the prime minister of finance and spalletta and what they were doing. And she, you know, immediately reports that back to Boyello. Um, yeah, I mean, that that could be. I just think that, like, he directly connects Thomas to this when he says uh, he's talking about himself being the second most intelligent man in the world, which I wonder who the first is. But then he says, uh, speaking of that, being a man, can you even call Thomas that? And as Sophia kind of acts shocked, he tells her again, follow the love. I think that that's connected to to uh it's, it's directed at sophia and connected to thomas or tomas yeah but um i don't know who do you think is the most intelligent man in the world oh i don't know i'm it could be anything it could be nikola tesla it could be einstein it well, could be elon musk i don't know huh the f- most i think it's somebody we i think it's somebody we know um here on the show and i was thinking like I, I, at first when i thought uh, this guy was like an acolyte of jp3 or maybe uh because I got to think someone, a family that's wealthy and powerful as the Brannicks is, 
probably have some of these types of connections, you know, uh, creepy intimidators. Yeah. Oh yeah. sure, absolutely. Yeah, they got they got henchmen, they got axemen, they got You're, hangmen. You are suggesting this man works for JP three? I was. I don't know anymore. Huh. I'm just saying it made it made it sense until like he goes to threaten her. But then again, um, I don't know. Like, is the cockroach's shit real? Did he actually have that thing crawling around on him? I think he absolutely did. He's got trained Madagascar hissing cockroaches. Because the other thing that's interesting about cockroaches is they're a very smart. Bug. Is that true? It's true. Like. In comparison to bugs, right? They're yeah. not like crow smart or pig smart. No. They're just very, they're very smart huh. bugs. I did not know that. So it's just like this guy. He's gross, but he's clever. Hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't have any great guesses about who sent him. So Sophia follows the love and goes back to this compound where we've talked about this underground, you know, uh, cruciform grotto where they're doing dirty deeds and they're having clandestine meetings. And now we see there's a three... Tomas Spalletta, Cardinal Spalletta, and the the Italian Minister of Finance are all passed out from a drug-induced orgy uh, aftermath. And there's a girl dancing very sinuously between them, and she notices that they're all incapacitated, uh, gets dressed, and leaves. Sophia follows her to a high school uh, where we uh, find out that she is, in fact, an underage girl that these people are seeing repeatedly times because she reports that back to Viello. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting how Sorrentino did this where, uh, you know, he has this 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 attractive naked woman dancing. And I mean, I, as an audience member, can't help but note that like, oh, look, that's a nice body. And then uh, he hits you with, the, oh, she's an underage girl. And then the next time you see her dancing, she's clothed almost out of respect to our sensibilities as a viewer. Um, yeah, or maybe to <laughs> maybe so as not to sexualize the dancing like the dancing mm. is in the same place but you are experiencing it from a place of trauma where mm. she might as most underage girls who are sexualized too early and by powerful people are yeah uh, no, it, it's it's really interesting he does he's doing a lot of things here mm-hmm. like um it's it's interesting how that these uh well let's let's i wanted to save that for that discussion for a little bit later i want to circle back to that um so she reports this to viello and he mentions that i think he knew that spalletta kind of had these uh proclivities and he doesn't he said i don't really give a shit about the lay people they're not really my concern um which shocks sophia and i think hurts her um you know because they've had this good working relationship but also it's the insensitivity that she's discovered this new information about her own husband yes Mm -hmm. now I'm a little bummed out. Not that I think this is invalid storytelling or whatever, but I I was kind of excited that like I thought Tomas Tomas and Sophia were going to be this like really sexy kind of kinky power exchange dynamic super couple, and it turns out that Tomas is is now indulging in a whole bunch of drugs at the expense of his time with Sophia. He's indulging in sexual acts with underage girls. Uh, what the hell happened to their relationship? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it gives you, I mean, Sorrentino is really great at these complicated feelings because uh we wanted to root for a power couple that had an interesting sexual dynamic and that can work. Right. But maybe there's always been, you know, those kinds of kinky sexual dynamics only work if you have total open communication and trust between each other. 
So maybe they're hinting at the fact that there never really was that because of the fact that we never saw her husband in the first season and he was introduced only to be this manipulative person. So maybe it's something we should have never been rooting for or should have seen coming. But I mean, because I I was like, why did the communication stop? I guess because he knows that she wouldn't be down with the underage girl partying or the drug partying. And yeah, the spending the church money. Is is Thomas only getting that? Well, but uh, so is Thomas only doing that because, as Spalletta mentions, well, it's what the Minister of Finance wants. And, okay, sure, we're spending a million dollars on blow and underage hookers, but we're saving the church billions. Like, is there some kind of weird, fucked up spiritual math they're engaging in there? No, I mean, I... I said this uh, when it came up in the episode the first time, but I think they put the prime minister of finance up to saying we are going to repeal this eight per thousand rule yeah, sure. and got him to uh, appoint Tomas as uh, I don't know what his official title is in the church, got him to appoint Tomas in the yeah. church. He's now in head of the, the, the Vatican's financial holdings. Right. So I don't think there's any good intent that ever existed. I think the three yeah. of them just wanted the money and power. Yeah. I don't know. Cause I don't, are they doing anything illegal with the money? I mean, aside from, <laughs> from entertaining these ministers of finance, because Viello didn't mention like, you mean the church or those three people? Well, either because like, you know, like, I, what I'm saying is like, are they laundering money or are they just making really smart, savvy investments and using the money to buy off politicians and stuff? Because, well, they said in this episode that they were moving money into offshore accounts. Well, and we so see them spending it on this woman and drugs. Yeah. OK. So there, there's an implication that there's, uh, you know, a, a, aside from the corruption and, you know, what they're doing to entertain the minister, there's also... Um, you know, just as malfeasance with the money. Yeah. Uh, and then we see Sophia's car has a cockroach in it, which again, I don't understand the the thinking here to tell the, you know, to have a shadowy figure appear and say, follow the love. And then when she does follow the love, don't talk about the love that I told you to follow. Like it doesn't quite track for me, but Maybe it's a naked it's a threat. way to just break her, hmm. keep her in a, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I also wonder the Spalletta. I wonder if there's something more complicated going on. Like Spalletta knows that she followed him, and she knows that co- that he knows about the cockroach guy somehow. Even though that Leopold guy says no one knows about it. I honestly, I don't know. I'm I'm just I'm just speculating without any kind of. I'm wanting this to make sense, and it doesn't quite make sense to me yet. Um, I want to move on from there to to John Paul III. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this. I, again, I ask, what the hell is he doing? Because uh, I kept, uh, like, last episode, I thought, okay, I see what he's doing. Now it looks like he's back to twisting in the moral winds mm-hmm. um, instead of taking a moral stand. But a lot of stuff he's saying is contradictory. For example, uh, there's this, um, like, major domo type uh, personal attendant to the Pope that, that uh, the three different popes we've seen have had. Um, this uh, young ner- uh, nun from, like, India or Pakistan. And he asks her, which of these popes did you prefer? And she's like, well, I, I knew Pius XIII better, and he believed in me. And he's trying to recruit her to his side. And to that implies that he might have some kind of plan. He's playing some kind of court politics. But then again, maybe he, this is just his vanity. He needs people to like him. I think that he's seeing who, with Pope Lem- Pope. Pius Thirteenth, Lenny, mm-hmm. surely waking up soon, as everyone anticipates he will at the end of these however many breaths and sighs. Or he could be dying. 
that I think he wants to make sure that this woman is on his side and is, you know, invested in his success and not still rooting for Lenny. Because I think he also fires her when she's she can't really commit to him. Because Voyello in the garden later tells the one nun who's being abused that she's going to serve the Pope now. Well, but he said report to sister. And I think it's this sister's name. I think that she's just being reassigned to like the nuns that are personally attending to the Pope. I don't know that she's being replaced, but I, I could be wrong. Oh, that was my read of it, that okay. she's being replaced. Um, he then, uh, Viello, uh, reports to John Paul, the findings, uh, about the financial minister and what Tomas and Spalletta are getting up to and how they're connected to finances. And so then John Paul, uh, goes to confront Spalletta about it and Spalletta just easily deflects the attack. And he's like, you know, there's only two people in the whole world that can blow this spot up for you, me. And we already decided we're going to play nice. We're not going to blackmail and Viello, who is, you know, blackmail king, and who knows, who knows what he's got on him or what he's doing, because nobody, nobody knows anything about him. And I'm like, this doesn't seem like a good political read on the situation. Uh, if you've got two people who have knowledge of the crime, one of them, which is, you know, super into blackmailing, and you have nothing on them, versus one who is. Uh, blackmailable, but doesn't... I, I don't know what he has on John Paul. It must be a doozy. He says he's got the box. It's he the... says he knows what's in the box. So knowing that the Pope is a heroin addict yeah, is pretty good blackmail, I think. I don't... Man, it just seems like... Because uh, what I do, you agree with Viello that it's a matter of time before the journalists pry into these finances, pry into these sexual escapades and... and find out about it yes and then that will inevitably drag down john paul iii yes so like would it be better to come and say yeah i've battled a heroin addiction since my brother died it's it's uh and i'm i you know i fall myself like that's that's a sin that i think people can get their hands around versus i don't know i think they all go down really yeah Mm. i don't think there's any there may be forgiveness but you don't continue to be pope and you don't continue to be in your places of power Mm. which is something they need so you're just you're just essentially buying time uh, by because because I don't understand why Viello doesn't just blow this 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 up. You know, he's got they have nothing on him. He's got all of his affairs a, in order. They have a dossier on him that they presented to him, right? The minister. For, yeah, I guess he, they do. Yeah. But why? So why does Spalletta not say that to John Paul three? He must know that because the minister of finance knows it. Uh, because he's got his own blackmail against JP three. I think that him having the box over him is enough to to give him reason to fire Voyello. I don't know. Just like I just I just mostly I wish one of these to see like a fictional character just be like you know what blackmail fuck your blackmail. Uh, I mean if you don't if you're too good to be blackmailed then yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, so. The yellow then leans on John Paul to be like okay why aren't you getting rid of Spalletta. He's kind of explicit. He he's laid it out three different times, and he's still confused. There's this really interesting rooftop scene where John Paul's in all white, down to the white pope hat. Viello is in all black, down to the black hat. There's these uh, long range shots that show the physical space between them. And Viello's like, "Come on, what what the hell? Are we? You're going to clean your house or not?" And John Paul three turns the tables on him and says, "Actually, you're the one that's going to have to go." And you know, Viello tries to play a whole bunch of like. 
I don't know. He tries to use a lot of weapons that don't work against John Brannix because, you know, he mentions there's this interesting thing about um, John Paul's opinion about scandal and reputation. He says, these things don't concern me. They're the concern of the petite bourgeoisie. Uh, which if in like Marxist theory terms are essentially you've got uh, the bourgeoisie, which are the people who own the means of production and the petite bourgeoisie are kind of like shopkeepers, people who own bars, you know, people who are trying to get into that next ladder of the rung, but they haven't quite made it yet. And like a scandal could destroy him. Whereas he's like, I'm all about form polish to perfection. It attains this mystical status. I have this blue blood in me. I don't give a fuck. Like people can come at me and I'll just retreat to my my upbringing and my nobility and I'll be unassailable. Um, which is kind of what Lenny had. Like it's a little bit of what Lenny thought about the papacy. Like if you ha- if you have a perfect pope that can't be assailed, then you could do anything. Mm-hmm. He's got it both. He's got it from the secular side and the spiritual side. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he wants to set aside Viello for uh, Asinte, which is another interesting choice. He doesn't go with uh, promoting Spalletta. He's going with uh, Asinte. Yes. I wonder if Spalletta asked for that, because it seems like something that he was within his rights to do, but maybe mm-hmm. he didn't. I don't know. Because I think Asante was the obvious choice that you, I think, you called in the f- second or third episode. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting because like Spalletta seemed like he was disappointed that he didn't get to be Secretary of State, but maybe he sees the utility of like, well, I'm. Uh, it's more. It's easier to be the man behind the power uh, if I'm not that. I've got this nebulous, undefined personal advisor secretary and and secretary of state's got a big target on its back so let us let us Sente have that right yeah this guy's the director of creativity and he's mm-hmm. not even very good at that so i can't even imagine how no. how hard he'd bomb if he had actual secretary of state responsibilities yeah i do like that last little uh you know exchange that they had on the rooftop where uh john paul iii says i don't like choosing and i don't like giving orders and viello complete sincerity says but but i adore giving orders mm-hmm. it's it's my whole life uh, I, I i again i can't find myself to hate this guy uh so at this point do we want to talk about voyello's last acts no i want to i want to i want to finish out john paul three because it doesn't really have much to do with viello from here on out um he decides that this I, I he feels like he's in a position of strength now to get his his house is sorted and he wants to give this interview um so his right on the eve of the interview is butler appears to be concerned with him offers him the silver box and john paul iii uh refuses we get to the interview and there's all this pageantry and you know pa- uh sorrentino does this so well uh the the journalist going on genuflecting on the one knee and kissing his hand <laughs> tenderly uh-huh. and thanking him for like they stress that this is a live worldwide interview unprecedented no pope in the modern era has ever done this it's a free-ranging you know no topics barred interview Mm -hmm. and they get into it and you know john paul is doing a pretty good job talking about himself and then immediately the journalist goes into a discussion about adam and that sends him into a tail spiral that spalletta correctly identifies is withdrawal a withdrawal yeah that, that 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 he is so successful in turning down the silver box since coming to the vatican that now he's actually dealing with some physical withdrawal symptoms. So his butler offered him the box right, it seems like right before this yeah, interview. Yeah, to, to, to calm, to, to avoid all this. Right. So 
you know, you were wondering how he got by on a heroin or with a heroin addiction, uh, just one little dose before bedtime every night. And it seems like he's doing it more than that. Yeah. He just brings him the box before bed also. Yeah. So, uh, I actually just read an article yesterday about heroin withdrawal and it's really, really bad. Yeah. No, I've, <laughs> I've pretty immediate too. seen it depicted and talked about and read about it enough. That seems like it's, uh, it's a, it's a real difficult thing. In fact, that this is, um, I would say that uh, Sir John has an enormous amount of self-control if he's in the throes of withdrawal and he's this with it, you know? Yeah, I think it's just starting for him, missing that one dose, I guess. Uh, so he sees a couple of... I mean, he hears the talk about Adam. That kind of also triggers him in a way. And then there's this this focusing on an idol or a monk or someone statue, be, yeah. a statue behind him uh-huh. behind the Emery Kitsworth, the ger- journalist Catholics don't do idolatry. Haven't you heard <laughs> all this, all the statues and that are venerated <laughs> and worship. That's, that's not idolatry. Ah, well, my mistake, just some random thing behind him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And did, did you figure out, was that anyone Man, or anything I, or is it just symbolic? I don't know because it's a shadowed, like, I did so many searches. I did reverse image search. Uh, it could, because I thought, there's a couple things I thought it might be. It might be like St. Michael, the Archangel, because that would feed into the fixation on uh, eliminating evil. You know, Michael's famously the angel that threw Satan out of heaven and smote him to the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I thought it could be uh, the original St. Francis. Uh, who Could it be John Henry Newman? I don't think so because I've ne- I couldn't I there's several statues of him but none are depicted with that long like cruciform staff. Uh, it could have been Saint Patrick, which I don't understand what that could 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 the connection there. Uh, Saint Francis would be you know that could be him feeling guilty about not investigating the get- death of his predecessor. I, I don't know. I I couldn't find a, a, an exact match. Um, it could have been Saint Peter. Saint Peter sometimes portrayed with that long mm-hmm. uh, cruciform staff. Um, of course he's the founder of the church maybe that but but whatever it is it seemed like that was some kind of trigger like snapping focus to that and it's supposed to mean something but damned if I know maybe I'll I'll read something or someone can send that in to me and there was also Sophia and Spalletta and a few other people that were watching just off to the side in the other room yeah and Spalletta was saying or was revealing to Sophia that he's going through withdrawals yeah. And she's saying, of course, Andy's just nervous. She says that no one could take the stage. Ugh, I'm sorry. She said that no one could take the stage better than the Holy Father. Sure. And and then you show his face while she's saying that. Could he also hear them speaking softly in the other room? And maybe that was another thing that. Maybe. Just, Surely not, though. But he's also he already knows that he really you know, admire Sophia and it's got the weight of her expectations. And so Sophia that's had something. no idea about this drug addiction at all. Right. And also knowing that his parents are watching. Oh God. Yes. I forgot that like the, he asked his butler, are my parents watching? Undoubtedly. Oh, absolutely. So like, mm-hmm. oh, I mean, I, the thing is, is like Lenny did a couple boners last season where you think, you know, well, how is he ever going to recover from this? And like dropping a baby, like dropping a baby. <laughs> uh, and he always found the way to do it. And and almost like that some of these setbacks were like tests uh, that he was conducting of others or himself. Um, but it's hard to believe like on a world like shitting the bed on this big of a worldwide stage how do you recover from that or how would that suit your your interests or, or whatever I, I i don't know yeah um but uh 
Yeah, and there's also a little bit of new information about Adam. We find that last episode he was doing the slalom through the, the crosses, and they said that this, uh, this is his tragic death around a skiing incident. Uh, but they didn't say it was like he hit something. He said it's a, a sickness he developed during the skiing trip. Implying, oh. but but like that oh. doesn't jibe with what Sir John says about how they've never forgive me for my not doing enough on some fateful cold morning. Like uh, there's there's so, a lot there there's there. It sounds like there's an official story. There's the story that jo Sir John has told his parents, and then there's the fucking truth. And I want to bring this back on the table. Did John and Adam switch places? Why? I still don't know the answer, but it seems like they are trying to draw a connection there. Um, I have no idea what 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 plot it would it would serve, but because I agree with you, I just don't I just don't know why. I don't know why it's happening. Because Adam didn't want the spotlight, but he was better. But uh, I, 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 maybe, I honestly don't know. Yeah. Maybe then, he, uh, John, developed some sort of like heroin or painkiller addiction and Adam tried it for the very first time and went skiing and died. I don't know. I'm yeah, just spitballing here. But I, I don't I don't I don't get it either. I was going to say that maybe he developed some sort of addiction because of, you know, the opioid crisis that we face in America. But that's an American problem. So sure. I am. All theories out there. Uh, so I want to talk about Violo a little bit. Um, I thought it was sweet uh, that Sophia is the one that senses something wrong with Violo after he gets sacked. And he plays it off as like, oh, my team my team lost. <laughs> She's right. They work really well together. Uh, and then he instantly goes in. This reminds me of um, there's a parable that Jesus has about um, a man who's going to get fired as the household servant from his master. And uh, this guy's like, oh, man, what am I going to do? I'm too physically weak to work. I'm too proud to beg. Oh, I know. And he calls in all of his master's debtors uh, and says, how many bushels of wheat do you owe my master? Oh, 30. I think you meant 15 there. Writes it down. Uh, how many uh, uh, barrels of oil do you owe my master? Oh, uh, 40. Well, write down 10. It's cool. And he amasses all these favors and all these things so that when he gets drummed out of the house that he will, you know, have these people owe him favors and they'll take him in, etc. It seems like that's what Viello is doing. He He's settling some old business, like with Hernandez. <laughs> I love it when he says he's sending him to Kabul and the guy's like, ah! <laughs> it's such a funny, funny thing for him to say. Uh, so it's like, you know, this that you're going to get out of the Roman, the, the Vatican power structure. You're going to go to this, you know, backwards place with no Catholics and there's no pedophile priest. Yeah, to cover just for. in the heart of Af Afghanistan. Just, just go out there, curl up and die. Uh, then he goes to the nuns that are playing ring ball volleyball. Just volleyball. Yeah. It's just, just, you know, kind of uh, setting, setting each other for up for no spikes. Um, and he makes a bunch of sweeping. So the most Wes Anderson shot ever with him catching the ball. Yeah, all the nuns <laughs> pat, and then he goes and steps forward and catches it. Um, and the ball's got all the colors, and they're all black and white. Uh, but he makes a bunch of sweeping changes to the the nun situation in Vatican. He uh, says that the abbess is going to finally get her lump checked out by the finest oncologist in Italy. Uh, he's getting therapy for the sister who's a kleptomaniac. He's transferred the, the he's transferring the nun who's being bullied to the the Pope's personal service, uh, and to help out the sister who has a ch is is with child. He is going to give this uh, uh, abbot a special mission of uh, taking in orphans. 
quote unquote. Mm. And, uh, you know, this sister will give birth and her son will be or daughter will be the first orphan they take in. He's even made arrangements for the father to be able to visit them in that garden shed. Uh, Uh, Where he's going to continue to live, I presume? I guess something. I don't know. But he's making all these things and the nuns are like, you know, such a Lizette especially correctly surmises about him fucking with her wi-fi mm-hmm. and you know now they got the wi-fi fixed and i think he's doing all this to whip these nuns up into a fury so they just give the new administration hell and and this new administration is gonna have no tools to fight back because they're he's not they're not going to have the infrastructure and the spying that he's got yes that's one read of it okay. which i i agree with but i think it or i mostly agree with but i think it could also be that he's just kind of doing what he thinks is the right thing he's giving the nuns all the tools back to because f- he you know says at least that's a formidable adversary if it's not his fight anymore and he thinks that the nuns really deserve to have to fight this battle mm-hmm. and he's going to give them the tools back to do that. I, I'll say why not but, both. <laughs> but because why does he need favors from cloistered nuns? He doesn't. He's... He wants them like when Sister Lizette starts up and he gets that big wolfish smile on his face like I knew you'd be a formidable. He knows that he's unleashing this formidable adversary on this new administration and you, you got not just one reason rebel ladies. You got a thousand. Yeah. Go go and give him give him heck. Uh, I think, and I, yeah, I think also Voyello is kind of a guy who likes to do good. Like he's this interesting guy that he is the world's foremost sinner, and who de- who the fuck knows what is in a dossier? But he he walks it mean, so the Pope can 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 walk it clean. And he also has a soft spot for like these broken things in the world and and for getting justice done. I. I don't know. Maybe I'm being really naive, and I just really like this guy's like weird anti charisma. <laughs> no, but... I agree. I, I agree. I like it. Yeah. I think that uh, he also takes Giriamo to this retreat that we've seen mm-hmm. before with Don Mimo, mm-hmm. and I thought for a moment that he was going to leave him there. I think he is. And kill himself oh, as if shit. there's as if you know without the secretary. He's been the secretary of state, the longest running one ever. That like why? But you know. Also, in my mind, immediately I'm thinking, well, if you kill yourself, you don't get into heaven. That's the whole Catholic oh, thing. Right. So, well, he might think he's hellbound anyway. I don't. I. I. That's an interesting thing. It's like, can he? I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know the ins and outs of Catholic. Because, like, also, you could say that, like, as long as he gets his last last rites in, he's he's good to go. But that's interesting because I thought that he is like kind of like general Patton. I shall return like these he he wants he's got these nuns are going to fight on his behalf kind of right he's also freed himself up to be the secretary of state for the anti-pope Pius the 13th oh my god i didn't even consider that that just occurred to me uh all the internet points ding 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 (laughs) wow like that would be an interesting season three setup that like this you're gonna fight a war against the new pope destroy him and then and sweep back in the new the the jean paul or the uh, pious uh the 13th regime back Mm -hmm. blew my mind right there cecily yeah Um, Pius the 13th can forgive him for killing the uh curious confessor no couldn't Confess. Oh yeah, Saint Francis or yeah. not Saint Francis, Pope Francis the Second. Pope Francis the Second. Papa de Francis. Papa uh, de Francis. Let's talk about Esther. Um Esther has an interesting arc in this, and this is the one where it feels like six months' time elapses in, in these scenes. Right. She quickly goes to cut Fabio out because Fabiano. Fabiano, because his bullshit with being her shitty pimp. 
and she quickly establishes, I want my 15,000 euros per visit. I want to cut Fabio out. And the mother of this afflicted boy, uh, man, there is a lot of things going on here. She alludes to a pleasure that's seeping into her. And she also says a mother is capable of anything. Implying that maybe she was the first person to try to satiate her son's needs. Hmm. Yeah, this whole thing is really. And then weird. there's there's also when she's old, uh, or like not uh, later on the scene in an older scene, <laughs> uh, like a couple minutes down the line when she's she's giving Esther the axe, she says, uh, you know, Esther says, "Oh, oh, you're the only one that can love him," and she says, "That's exactly right in every sense of the in word." Every sense of the word. So this situation just keeps getting more and more morally nebulous and and uncomfortable. But in the first scene, she's she's convincing Esther to do this service. She goes, "Hey, turns out there's a shadowy network of rich parents worldwide who have deformed, disabled sons that no one will love, and we're looking for a girl like you who can be their saint." Uh, so I'm thinking this is this is where the short amount of time kind of works. She visits she visits uh, Altanasio once without yeah. Fabiano, gets her payment. She lavishes praise on her and says, "You're a saint with a mm-hmm. gift." Then I've got all these other boys that need your same gift. Mm-hmm. So imagine that the next visit she gets fifteen thousand euros from every single one of those boys in attendance there. And then the next visit, she says, I'll see you next Thursday. And that's when she fires her. So that works. I guess if it's, a per also, head, if it's a per head type of situation. Right. And yeah. she's also saying we made you comfortable. I yeah, think that amount maybe. of money kind of works out. Um, but she's also bought a house in the meantime, too. I don't know. Yeah. You're right. It seems like not enough time. Yeah. Um, and so this next scene where the Esther's dancing uh, naked in this room full of enraptured young men. Um this is what I want to talk about uh, with Sorrentino. Every dis- every disabled person this f- this is in this show so far is being used as a prop. You've got Guillermo, you've got the evil S uh Leopold Essence with the missing eye. Uh you've got this room full of uh men with all kinds of different physical and per- perhaps mental and emotional maladies. Um and it's filmed You've got like literally a kid that's got this condition. Um, what was that show that we with Robert Downey Jr. about that? I fur? think it's called like Hirotsuma. Hirotsuma. Yeah, like but that. it's it's like, it's a real it's a real biological condition. People have it where they <laughs> just have hair of every square inch of their body, um, visible hair. I mean, we all have hair over every square inch of our, square inch of our body, but visible hair. And it looks like this kid's got that affliction. And so, like you know, he looks like Lon Chaney Wolfman. They're filming this in this very odd, harsh lighting with thunder and lightning illuminating them. It's like a, ha- a hammer horror film <laughs> yeah. with this creepy Edna mode, you know, presiding <laughs> over the whole fucking situation. Uh, it is a little weird that they're being used as like props in this passion play. Um, right. I just I don't have I'm not offering condemnation or praise. I'm just making a, just offering a, an observation there. Right. Uh, there's this one young man who seems to be turning away from the action and he sees Pius the 13th outside ca- kind of giving him a, a, a like a, an attaboy for it. At least that's how I interpreted it. Yeah, I don't think anything Pius does is the, as black and white as approval or disapproval. Mm. I think it's more of like he's giving him he's giving him this like furrowed eyebrow smile as if 
Like I, I see you. You're one of God's children. This is a tough situation, but you're doing. But but because I, I think we we talked about this a little bit pre podcast, and I think that your takeaway on this was that he was saying this is okay. No, no? I wasn't saying that. I was just okay. saying that I think that whenever you see someone seeing Lenny, that he's uh-huh. just occurring to them in that moment. Hmm. He always and, seems like he's he's occurring to people who are in who are in a trying time and who are trying to make the right choice. Mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, we talked about her getting, getting, uh, uh, tossed out. There's some interesting stuff here where, um, Edna Mode talks about, uh, you know, Hey, we found younger African women who will do this for a fraction of the cost. So we see the impacts of trade and immigration on the global <laughs> economy. Uh, we also, uh, she also mentions that the heart of the matter seems to be that we saw Esther was getting very intimate in, in not just a physical way with these boys, like, you know, almost maternalistic. And that really seems to set off Miss Mode. Right. She's well, like, she says she needs it and she wants to come back without even getting payment for it. Yeah. What is so she, I don't think she's falling in love with this kid. I think she's just getting a lot of like pleasure from the power in the situation and feeling like she's doing something right with something she's comfortable with, which I don't know. It's one. It's 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 hard telling exactly what they're going for uh, because they're dealing with so like at this point you're you're dealing with so many potential uh, minefields and uh, you know perversions and outside the box kind of morality that I don't know exactly what pleasure Esther's feeling other than maybe she's feeling useful. She's feeling like she's giving she's giving and receiving love for mm-hmm. the first time in a long time. Um, yeah, I, 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 I love that this show never really tells you though. There's not making a judgment either way. It's just giving you all the information to make your own decisions. Yeah, just, the pitiless camera just takes it all in and shows it to you and is like, what do you think? <laughs> and I say, I don't know. Uh, so they, then the move, the show drives in, shifts into overdrive. Esther follows Edna out to the, uh, the balcony and she strangles her apparently to death. There's like snake imagery in the background you hear yeah. this like the hiss of a snake and a rattle of the tail implying there's a satanic force here um and she says holy father stop my hand uh and then it cuts to her fleeing the palace or the palatial residence the the kid is wailing in a- anguish maybe because his mom's de- died maybe because uh you know he he's actually mourning esther he had this connection with her and uh there's then the scene of of Edna Mode dead on the balcony, and it's now dawn. Like the next morning, yeah. The significant amounts of time have passed, unless unless this uh, sex party happened at like five <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Uh, and then it cuts to Jay, the the Pius the Thirteenth in his hospital bed. He twitches his pinky, and Edna Mode rises. Is this a, a, a another a miracle. Uh, miracle from his coma bed? Uh huh. It's what they're trying to imply. I believe so. And then I will collect my internet points for predicting that Esther goes to uh, <laughs> the, join the, the hoodie fanatics, the square of Saint Lenny, to join the hooded idolaters, and uh, she gets embraced by the chief idolater, the red hooded idolater. Um, after she asks God or perhaps Lenny for forgiveness for loving and getting pleasure from it, and the red hooded woman embraces her. Mm-hmm. So now we see Esther and her son ensconced in Lenny Central. <laughs> This is going to be interesting. Yeah. Do you think she actually joins them? She's going to be wearing I mean, a red hoodie next time? Uh, I think there can be only one red hoodie. 
but it wouldn't surprise me if she's if she's wearing a hoodie. I mean, if nothing else, to keep warm. Uh-huh. Uh, this leads us to discussion of Pius the Thirteenth. At the beginning of the episode, he's down to 129 breaths between uh, sighs. Uh, there's a scene of like, did why did they replace the young nurse the the young nurse nuns that had a thing for Lenny with this old smoking nun who just gives him a a business like scrub down for that exact reason maybe or maybe it's a little the, more business going on there well, or maybe they, the maybe the other ner- the other nuns couldn't handle the bugs that kept showing I'm up thinking, <laughs> like the suddenly non-metaphysical uh the creepy crawlies like uh-huh. the this 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 nun scene at all don't give a shit mm-hmm. as long as she's got her marlboros and uh a a, a, a good scr- a good scrubbing sponge <laughs> she can take care of anything millipedes cockroaches hissing or not she doesn't give a shit right um, and then at the end of the episode, uh, Lenny is getting to the end of his countdown. We hear him take two breaths and then sigh, then one breath and then sigh, and then he sighs a final time, and the candle by his bed flickers, gutters, goes out, then the lights in the room, every, everything's done except for the life support systems. Mm-hmm. Is he dying? Is he waking up? Tune in next week. We'll find out. We'll find out together. Uh, and then we finish with this, as we mentioned, the the young girl dancing uh, mostly clothed, sparing our audience sensibilities now since we know she's underage. Mm-hmm. Um, what an interesting episode. That it is indeed. All right. Well, this podcast has sighed its last sigh uh, until next week when we'll be back to talk about episode seven. Until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Cecily. See ya. Bye.